When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Michael here with Bryson Riley. And before we start the show today, we have some Patreon shoutouts. Big thanks to everyone who joined us over on the other side after our Patreon week earlier this month. If you would like to subscribe to the Patreon and gain access to three to five bonus episodes every month of Bigfoot Collectors Club, go to patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Here we go. The big thank yous. Sierra Hulk. Thank you. Ronnie Leva. Thank you. Maya Adkins. Thank you. Rebecca Lucas. Thank you. Jason Quininar. Thanks, Jason. Ty Oliver. Thanks. Leela Hubert. Thank you. Brianna Crawford. Thank you. Susan. Thank you. Greg Sissoka. Thanks, Greg. Dave Keith, friend of the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Rebecca Collins. Thank you. Amy Von Bergen. Thanks, Amy. Courtney Ellingsworth. Thank you. Bunny Tree Evil Eye strikes again. Thank you, Bunny. Jason Fitchko. Thank you. Evan Fox. Thanks. Terrell Goodpaster, welcome back. Thank you. Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Clara. Thank you, Clara. Marl Edwards. Thank you. Marissa Osgood. Thank you. Kyle Whitney. Thank you. Maureen Green. Thanks. Amy Bemmies. Thank you, Amy. Jade Harmeyer. Thank you. Jenny Stromer. Thanks. Melissa Bales. Thank you. John parentheses or dot uh end parentheses. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wong Siong. Thanks, Wong. Trent Ward. Thanks, Trent. Seth Kroom. Thank you. Adam Kipke. Thank you. Mike Niederhausen. Thank you. Mason Ward. Thanks, Mason. Chandra McGamis. Or maybe Thank it's you. McAmy. Either way. We're Thanks. really bad with the French in this episode, just a heads up. <laughs> Martin Galvin. Thank you. Loretta Obuchowski. Thank you. Graham McDonald. Thank you. Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. Sean Anderson. Thank you. Bailey Meadows. Thank you. Carrie Bickner. Thank you. Jordan. Thank you. Andrew Cassidy. Thank you. Samuel. Thank you. Sarah Wood. Thank you, Sarah. Bob Midas. Thanks, Bob. Doug from Bayonne. Thank you, Doug. Michaela McCraner. Thank you. Will Bailey. Welcome back, Will. Thanks, Will. Hey, Will. Mark Metzel. Thank you. Melissa Rowland. Thank you. Emma Toma. Thank you. James Mulholland, artist extrayer of the Wet Hot Alien t-shirt and uh, all the cover art for here uh, and on the other side. You rock, James. Thank you. Thomas Maresca. Thank you. Sean Thompson. Thank you. Spencer Rickborn. Thank you. Zachary Jenkins. Thank you, Zachary. Dante Stallcup. Thank you. Stephanie Catherine. Thank you. Annie Saunders. Thank you. Dari Fitzgerald. Thank you. Rob Ritter. 
Thank you. Ali Hassan. Thanks, Ali. Gerard Antkoyak. Thank you. Janice Santiago. Thank you. Sarah Vatcher. Sarah Vatcher. Thank you. Oh, uh, Aaron Bird. Thanks, Aaron. Nick J. Stieglitz. Thank you. Jennifer. Thank you. Ashley E. Adams. Thank you. Mason S. Johnson. Thanks, Mason. Christina Carr. Thanks, Christina. And Sarah Arthur. Thank you. Woo. Huge wow. thanks wow. to that That's long incredible. list of Patreons. Uh, love you guys. Thank you so much. Now, Seriously. it's time for the show! Show! It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. <laughs> I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And returning from his absence from last week is super producer, Riley Bray. How was your vacation, Riley? Yeah. It was truly glorious. We drove... All the way up the one and the one on one, we got as far as Eugene, Oregon, and just like camping at random campsites along the way. <laughs> so I just, jealous. I just, I had to run away during the election. I don't know. Fair <laughs> I, like, I want to be in the woods. I, I don't want to stare at my TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was still happening by the time you got back. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't quite anticipated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was in the woods of like cable news. I was staying up till 3 a.m. almost every night. So I think you picked. The better uh, retreat than the oh, one no doubt about it. in all week long last week. Uh, speaking of last week, on last week's episode, we brought up the idea of having a dream pact and trying to lucid dream and meet one another in our dreams. <laughs> Bri- Riley, you can get in on this. Uh, I'm in on that for sure. Bryce. <laughs> no luck, man. Sorry. You didn't dream about me last I night? I tried, dude. I, tr- I did the setup. <laughs> I did the setup. I was like, all right, meeting at Granville. Gonna have some to... butternut squash soup with Mike. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> Let's do it. And then we... I just kept repeating that. But damn, it, it's tough. Lucid dreaming is tough. We uh, we decided we would just pick a very, really basic place, which is the cafe we like to you know meet for lunch because yeah. we thought that would be like easier to visualize. I'll be honest, I completely forgot. So it might be my <laughs> fault. But we'll try oh, again next week. Well, it's a good thing I didn't show up there like alone. Be like, I'm yeah. here. Where the fuck is Michael? <laughs> I'm like flying the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just well, off in a totally different dream. Lucky you. We'll have to try it again. <laughs> All right. Dream yeah. Brothers Quest begins in earnest uh, next week. So we'll see, we'll keep you guys posted. I know you're all dying to hear about our lucid dreaming hangouts. <laughs> um, our guest is sitting patiently through all of this. Uh, so let's bring him in. He's an actor. He's an improviser. And he is the host of the hilarious podcast, My Neighbors Are Dead. Yeah. Everyone, please give a warm Club Scout salute. To Adam Peacock. Oh yeah! my God. Whoa! Guys, thank you for having me. This is so great. 
Dude, Adam, you can ours. you can get in on the Dream Brothers pack too if you want to. You're invited. You know, I would love to. I just I, the only thing I have is that I'd like I tried mushrooms for the first time a couple of months ago, so <laughs> that's as close as I think I've been to that. So, well, oh wow, okay, that's a good place to start. How was that yeah. for you? I really enjoyed it. It was a very it was a micro dose, and I had a really good time. Wow, that's incredible. What made you want to try mushrooms for the first time? You know, somebody had them. And I was that's just, usually that's a great place to start. Great place. Somebody great had place. him. I was on a rooftop. We were we were having a, a nice little barbecue dinner, and they were passing them around. And I took some, and it was very nice. That's great, man. man on a rooftop, that's I feel yeah, like I'd be like, right. doo, 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 doo. <laughs> I, I did end up on the side looking down on the street, which was illuminated by this very you know like those orange lights in the street. Yeah, and it was this cool bar across from where we were, and I was like, the, there was a car in the street, and I thought, I bet you if I jumped, I could land on that car because oh, Batman no, does no. it. <laughs> it wasn't like sad; it was cool. Like I was trying to like you know I, I could pull this off. Right. Yeah. Did you hear I a voice that said, don't jump at him? I'm just talking with you. It was Batman. <laughs> don't jump at him. <laughs> you can do it, Adam. Get down there. <laughs> Robin, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Robin was telling me to jump. Oh, man. That's wild. That's great. Any, that fun. any, any key other, takeaways? Yeah, or exactly. Like, uh, kind of like things, thoughts that came up during that time or anything? Just the jumping and that it's the best uh, anti-anxiety medicine I've ever had. Nice. Mm, right incredible. on. It was wow. so nice. It was very relaxing. I had a really great time. I recommend everybody at least try it. And it sounds like you did it <laughs> responsibly, so that's always key. Uh, Bryce, do you have any uh, updates for us here for the old clubhouse? Uh, I do have a, an article for BCC News, oh, if that's what you're well, referring to. Yes, I was going to set us up with, uh, I guess it's time for... BCC News! That was Honestly, perfect. nailed it. Nailed it, yeah. Wow. Okay, great. Well, this came out, uh, a new article by the SETI Institute, uh, which stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, uh, titled How Many Habitable Planets Out There? And uh, it's an article that states... Sounds like a very skeptical headline. <laughs> how many? No, no, exactly. no. I should have been read it like this. Wait, how many habitable planets are there in our galaxy? Because uh, okay. it goes on to report, thanks to new research using data from the Kepler Space Telescope, it's estimated that there could be as many as 300 million Potential, potentially habitable planets in our galaxy. Some could even be pretty close, with several likely within 30 light years of our sun. The findings will be published in the Astronomical Journal, and research was a collaboration of scientists from NASA, the SETI Institute, and other organizations worldwide. Uh, going on to say, this is the first time that all of the pieces have been put together to provide a reliable measurement of the number of potentially habitable planets in the galaxy, said co-author Jeff Collin, an exoplanet researcher at the SETI Institute and director of Kepler's science office. This is a key term of the Drake equation used to estimate the number of communicable civilizations. We are one step closer on the long road to finding out if we're alone in the cosmos. So uh, and it goes on to state other stuff. I'll stop there, like I usually do. But you get the idea. There's, There's a shitload science and stuff. Science and stuff. Uh, there is a shitload of habitable planets in the Milky Way galaxy. Some three hundred million. That wow. is a really exciting study. That's so cool. And the fact that some of them are so close, like within thirty light years. I mean, that you could wrap your head around humanity getting thirty light years away. You I know? think so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really exciting. That's cool. 
I mean, you know, you can't not think that like every star out there most likely has planets uh, anywhere ranging from, let's say, one to all the way up to maybe 50 even. And uh, and one of those have got to fit within that Goldilocks zone, which is just the perfect temperature and, you know, mm-hmm. holds all the just the key components to start life. So. All that sweet alien life. Yeah, juice. that sweet, sweet alien <laughs> juice. So, I mean, God, it just like who knows the number of communicable civilizations there are out there? A lot. It's a lot. And speaking of which, also when we were uh, uh, doing our other side week a couple weeks ago, that news came out that they, they've been finding radio signal bursts mm-hmm. from within our galaxy. Yeah. So uh, I'll throw that up on, on the show notes as well. So I don't know, Adam, what do you think? I don't know. This stuff is great, and it is very exciting. It, first off, there's people who are doing way more important things than I'll ever do. And, <laughs> uh, that applies to all of us. For yeah, sure. it, it, like, I, I, it's awesome, but there's also a part of me that kind of gets annoyed because I know I'm never going to see it. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't know. Is that well, me? You, Am I selfish because no, I don't want to hear no. about it? Cause I'm never going to see it. No, like, not but, at all. Listen, you know, and we talked about this on the show. The funny thing is, is, is a psycho, not an ethnobotanist, Terrence McKenna, who was a big proponent of, of psychedelics and, and using mushrooms as, you know, an artifice to communicating with alien intelligence always thought it was funny that we're using these, you know, hundred yard radio scopes to look for life in other planets when it's sitting right there below the radio scope in some cow dung. So, you know, maybe you don't have to look out there in the galaxy. Maybe it's right under your feet. Maybe you're standing I, in cow shit, Adam. I, mean, <laughs> I should stand in cow shit, Michael. I should. Well, of course, I was referring to the uh, the uh, Amanita muscaria mushroom that grows out of that cow dung. Of course, of course, of course, of course. Man, I feel like after this, we're gonna we're gonna like hear from somebody like six months from now. They'll be like, "Yeah, Adam. Oh, no one has seen him in months. He was heading to South America, and no, we don't know where he is. Now. I was just in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, and I I could get used to that. Really." We were in Corona, New Mexico. We were visiting oh, a friend. Her what? family, yeah, they built a, her. My a friend of mine, her parents built this retirement home, and then they moved out of the retirement home back to their hometown to be closer to their grandchild. So this beautiful home is hanging out in the middle of New Mexico. They went there when all the pandemic stuff hit, and we got to visit them Adam. for a little while, and wow. it's amazing. Did you know where you were in Corona, New Mexico? Yeah. Do you know what happened in Corona, New Mexico? Oh no, Michael! We, what we petitioned in, to rename it, but in it 1947, was, yeah. Corona was the site of the of whatever crashed and was collected and sent to Roswell. Is that's, that it? Was in Corona? Of, it was yes. in Corona, New Mexico, dude. So you could have been no yards shit. away, if not, you know, standing feet right away. on some metamaterials, on some old debris of a space. Uh, oh, that's down, really exciting! Aircraft. Yeah, because we would see things like, you know, driving, like you see signs for, you know, crash sites and all that. But I didn't know it was in Corona. That's, man, that's awesome. You were right there. We got to get out there. We want to go to the field where Mac Brazel found all that debris. And it was like three football fields long. Like there was a bunch of stuff out there. Yeah, Roswell uh, was the town that held the the Air Force base. The uh, Well, it was the Army base at the time, the the Royal Army Air Force. 
Air Base. Not and, uh, Royal. This no, is in uh, England. No, I know. Roswell. What was the Roswell. Roswell Army Air Base. This is how quickly we forget uh, information after yeah. doing three episodes about it like two months ago. Oh, it comes and it goes so the Royal Army Air Force Base in Roswell, New Mexico. Aliens, chavos, eh? That's so funny. But, you know, Watch this. That's a big misconception. A lot of people think that's where the crash took place. But like Michael said, it was right in the in the town of Corona. Is all of that declassified now or no? Well, the files are Some missing, right? The, the what what little files there are supposedly have been declassified, but there there are drawers worth of stuff that is just plain missing. <laughs> I just pictured you going through somebody's bedroom, just like, where are they? Where are the files? <laughs> <laughs> I know they're in these drawers somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's you know there's also there's been stuff that's been declassified, not fully declassified. There's also a bunch of fake documents out there. But the real interesting stuff, and we did all this, our listeners know. But there's like great deathbed confessions and affidavits of uh, you know uh, officers in the army who claimed to have seen the bodies and everything at the time and said that it was from another planet. Um, so you know, there's a there. Hey, man, if you want to do a deep dive, check out our Roswell series from this past August because there's a well, lot to it. And the documents and- that get, did that did come out were were blacked out, and really, that's where the meme came from because uh, Stanton Friedman, who was a uh, a nuclear physicist and also a ufologist, he was he was the first one to really file those FOIA requests to get some of those documents. And and they came back just like completely blacked out. Like maybe there was yeah. like a sentence too that you could read, but other right. than that, it was just you know completely blacked out. And I'm sorry to yeah. keep like with these half baked ideas, but didn't like wasn't it this year that the Air Force like officially declared that they had experienced UFOs or under the, is that am I right? Am I yes, making that up? Basically, yeah, no, the, absolutely. The Air Force has come out to say yes, all the because there was a uh, article in the New York Times a couple years ago. Uh, with footage of Air Force pilots chasing these objects, and the Air Force said that's real footage. The Pentagon said yes, this is real footage. That's right. So the Pentagon confirmed, uh, and they it. have yep. a brand new or a new version of an old thing. Uh, the Pentagon is doing a UFO basically task force where they're going to try to uh, figure out and analyze maybe what the heck's going on. And I say to them, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I got to get on that. (laughs) So, Adam, we ask all of our guests who come on the show, what is your personal paranormal history? I listened to an episode, Michael, and you talked about it, and I'm starting to think that it's it's universal for a lot of people. We had a wooded area by the house where I grew up that we called the Humps uh, because – all the kids said that's where teenagers went to go, you know, hump. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, but there was also a rumor that there was a group of devil worshipers out in the back of the humps. And, you know, this was confirmed because somebody found like a patch of old carpet and like a hoodie and a bottle or something. So that yeah. just like the rumor became that it was devil worshipers. Now it was probably just teenagers being teenagers, much like I think your experience, Michael, but that's where it kind of started for me was like the devil worshipers in my backyard. And did you find ever find any buried porn in the humps? Because absolutely, key absolutely. area to find buried porn. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a uh, like a picture from a ripped out uh, hustler, and I think we took it yep. from the humps and we took it to a tree by the baseball diamond and buried it in there because yep. we wanted it. We wanted to keep it. Buried treasure, man. Uh, that's, that's amazing. It's like me yeah. and my little my little friend Joel were the only two who knew where we were. As Gandalf said, keep it secret, keep it safe. Keep it safe. <laughs> 
So, because you're obviously with your podcast, uh, talk a little bit, I guess. Uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast because I think it, it ties sort of dovetails into this subject a bit. Yeah, I uh, on my neighbors are dead. I interview uh, made up tangential horror movie characters from uh, films that with characters that you might have seen, like Freddy's Krueger's next door neighbor or upstairs neighbor, and we kind of get their experience from the events that took place in the movie. <laughs> so great. And so you've been a big horror guy. I mean, is that so this like devil worshiping rumors got you into scary stuff? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, Catholic. So I I had that uh, battle going on inside. Uh, Like, I remember I bought an Alice in Chains record when I was, you know, 13, 14, however old I was. And I wanted my mom to take it back because it says, Jesus Christ, deny your maker. You know, the song Man of the Box. (laughs) That song's fucking awesome. And like now I don't care, but. Uh, so it was, I, lo- you know, I love yeah. that you had to go, you had to go to your mom, your mom. It's usually the other way around. Like moms are like, what <laughs> yeah. is this? And you're like, mommy, I know that's how guilty I was. I get it. Uh, but yeah, I, I got into it. I, I think I've, I might've said this with you guys before, but I got into it. My grandfather, when he worked at Ford's, he would bring home VHS tapes from a guy that he worked with and they were always horror movies. And when I would spend the night over there, I would sneak out, you know, when everybody had gone to sleep and I'd watch them. So wow. that's kind of what what started it. Do you have a favorite horror movie of all time or I'm I mean I'm basic just because of when I found it I love Halloween, the yeah. original Halloween. So good. I think about that movie I feel like almost every day. <laughs> a yeah, a guy I grew up with uh he he watched them on like he would dare us to go over and watch him and it scared the shit out of me whenever the pumpkin came up at the top and yeah, I just cuz of when I found it. Yeah, so has this did that love translate into any type of relationship with the paranormal itself were you into ghosts and haunted houses did you ever have like you know we get a lot of guests have like night terrors where they're frozen in bed and they think they see something strange shadow people in the room is there anything in your suburban sounds like suburban upbringing that ever made you go oh my gosh i think something's happening we had a lot of suburban haunts and Mm. legends in like i'm from just outside of detroit metro detroit so in this little area of town where i'm from called town river we had a lot of uh yeah like local legends and haunts and things you you know you would dare each other to go check out every fall um yeah like i think that was that yeah that was probably the big thing that i had in high school were there any Detroit cryptids? I don't think we've ever had a, a cryptid like, you know, Mothman showing up in Chicago these days. Right. There's, there's like a ever... Nessie knockoff that's supposed to hang out in Lake oh. Erie. Oh, but... oh, wow. I've heard of uh, I've heard of uh, Champy out of uh, where where'd that come from? The, the what, how do you call that lake, Michael? Is it the Champsy Lise? No. Uh <laughs> just that's kidding. A street that was, in Paris. That's a call back. Um... <laughs> uh, terrible one. But what where where's Lake Champy supposed uh, to be? Lake from? Champlain. That's like Thank in uh, right. I think upstate New York, Pennsylvania, that oh, okay. area. All I right, can't remember we did close. this. Champy. Right. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it sits. Um, but, but I didn't know about Lake Erie. Interesting. Yeah, Lake Erie's got a monster. I just Googled something. Let me know if this rings a bell, Adam. The Nine Rouge or the Nain Rouge, uh, French for red dwarf. Also called Demon of the Strait, oh, is a legendary creature of the Detroit, Michigan area, whose appearance is said to presage misfortune. Oh shit! Its origins in the early French settlement of Detroit are proposed as deriving from Norman French states of of the Luton, a type of ho- hobgoblin, 
along with Native American legends of an impish offspring of the stone god. Whoa, there's Whoa. like a little That's goblin cool. in Detroit. Who I knew? didn't know that. That is cool. That's very exciting. I'm going back there soon. I, I want to know about this. Uh, it says every spring, Detroit holds a costume community parade called the Marche du Nine Rouge. I know my French is terrible, in which the creature is traditionally chased out of the city. Although revival, the revival parade stays entirely within the Midtown Cast Corridor neighborhood. Oh, they even burn an effigy oh, of shit. the creature. Jesus. Uh, is banishing the evil spirit from the city for one more year. Um, so the legend is. He's very red in the face with a bright glistening eye. Instead of burning, it froze. This is a witness who described it back in 1883. Instead of possessing depth, he emitted a cold gleam like the reflection from a polished surface, bewildering and dazzling all who came within its focus. A grinning mouth displaying sharp pointed teeth completed this strange face. Uh, according to some scholars, the legend has its origins from local Native American beliefs of spirit creatures that inhabited the region, which were subsequently retold by European colonists. Um, this looks pretty cool. I'm kind of scared of the What's the name Rouge. of it again? The the Neuf Rouge? Or? N-A-I-N Rouge. So nine hmm. or nine. Uh, I did not take French. I apologize. The, what's that uh, say for the nine? Nine red? Red nine? No, for the red dwarf. Red dwarf. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And he looks like a little devil goblin. I know. We got to check out. That's metal, as Riley would say. Yeah, I'm going to have to hit one of those local bookstores and see if the Nine Rouge is there. Yeah. Be like, yo, you got any Nine Rouge in here? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go to the hustler buried out back. (laughs) I'm already on it. (laughs) I found it all. I actually buried that 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, But I I would check out that parade because that sounds cool. I wish Kansas City had a, where I grew up, had like a parade where we burned a monster that we were scaring away for another year. Yeah, dude. That's a pretty, that's a pretty hardcore tradition. Leave it to Detroit to light it on fire. That sounds perfect. God, I'm so lame because all I know is like there's a statue of Pope John Paul II in Hamtramck. So this is, (laughs) this is way cooler. We used to go down there and get handies. Um, (laughs) What were the stuff when you were in high school, like, uh, you said there were some local haunts and stuff. What what do you remember? There was a place called the Reflector House. Uh, and the rumor was, was that this guy went nuts, killed his family. They locked him up. So his brother and nephew moved into the house. People kept coming to the house to see it. So it was at the end of a cul-de-sac. So they put up reflectors. So when you would drive down with your lights, it would blind you when you came down, down, <laughs> oh, down wow. the street. Yeah. And what was oh. the purpose of the of of it blinding you to like keep driving past it or to like get an I think they just wanted feeling? Yeah, I think they just wanted people to stop coming to their house. Right. Uh yeah, cuz we drove down there one time and my buddy my buddy went down there. A couple of us went down there separate times. They somebody threw a log with nails in it behind his wheels as he was driving. Oh no. So when he backed up, uh it flattened his tires. Whoa. And I, not cool. Yeah, and I I mean, I I it's terrifying. I think maybe it's just a bunch of really nice people who just wanted people to stop fucking with their neighborhood. But I don't I mean, know. Or it's the red dwarf throwing logs full of nails at teenagers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, so there was that one. We had one. Uh, it was a, a red driveway. Again, this, the the legend was, was that a guy 
in I think Wyandotte, Michigan, backed over his daughter leaving the driveway. So he painted it red to cover up the blood. And there was a doll in the window. And I've seen the doll. And the woman of the house would change the clothing of the doll every day. So the rumor was that that was the daughter and the the driveway was red because of the blood. Oh, man. That's crazy. These are all nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Two awesome locations. Man, uh, any, did you guys have like a gravity hill or anything where like your car would be pushed up the street backwards? Did you have any of those? Or is that, yeah, we had a mystery spot. It was like a house where like it was on an angle and, but you still Mm -hmm. were standing upright, I think, or something. I forget how it worked, but yeah, we We had had a mystery spot. Santa Cruz. It was really fun. (laughs) <laughs> Blow your mind when you were a kid. Yeah. You got to go to the mystery spot. There was nothing else to do. Man, so I miss what, those days. What, what out of all this stuff, like when you were a kid getting into this, what was it that scared you the most? Oh, my God. Uh, I, oh, my God. What scared me the most as a kid? Because I, I want to say like a uh, – honestly, this is going to sound so corny. It was Freddy Krueger as a kid. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, it, it was. It was. It was Freddy. Uh, that. Oh, in Jaws too. I. My mom was foolish enough to let me see Jaws when I was very young, and this was when I was still uh, taking baths. So we, you know, single mom. <laughs> so she would watch me take a bath to make sure I didn't drown, and she would have to leave, and the pipes would clang under the tub, and I would lose it thinking wow. that Jaws was coming up out of the tub to kill me. <laughs> So scratch Kruger, it was Jaws. That legitimately <laughs> fucking terrified. Bathtub Jaws. Bathtub it Jaws. <laughs> it is funny as a kid when you're like, you know, we used to have neighbors that had a swimming pool and we'd be swimming over there. And I always had to stop and do the math and figure out if Jaws could get into that swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like in the middle of landlocked Kansas, I was like, now, wow, could he get in here? There is a way that a shark will get in. But it wasn't even just a shark. It was specifically Jaws. It's insane that like that movie's so effective that that you a kid even would think that it could get into his bathtub. Yeah, I would lose it like just bloody murder. Um. I just watched the Freddy movies for the first time. I'd seen Nightmare on Elm Street, but I've been watching the subsequent films and uh, which one of those is your favorite? Because so far I'm a dream warrior guy. Yeah. Dream warrior is pretty great. You got young Patricia Arquette. Yeah. You got young uh, Lawrence Fishburne. You got kids fighting Freddie back with their special dream powers. That's that. Did you ever think, well, uh, if Freddie just shows up, I'll, I'll whip up a dream power and kick his ass. The power glove thing, I, I I know later on, but that was that really instilled confidence in me as a kid because I had I a lot of video games. I haven't gotten to the power glove thing. Does a kid fight Freddy with a power glove? Yeah, he sure does. So, uh, yeah, that that instilled confidence. What is a power glove? It was an old Nintendo controller that was a glove. It was called oh, the power right. glove. I remember like, you remember I when remember they did that. the mat, you know, so you could do like Olympic trials or whatever the hell that game was called? Yeah. Yeah, I think the track was, and field. Was it track, track and field? Track and field, yeah. I remember running running in place on that crummy mat and then just watching my guy go so slowly across the screen. <laughs> and I was like, this is dumb. I'm never playing this game again. I remember the, you know, there was always that kid at like the arcade who brought in the pencil and he could do like the double the double button tap real quick. Like, dick, 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 with the pencil. Oh. And he'd be like, dude, I'll never beat this guy at hurdles. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were in uh, a Best Buy when Guitar Hero came out, and we were playing at the kiosk. Me and a couple of buddies, and this kid wandered up, and he was like, "Oh, hey, do you do you guys mind if I play this? I've never done this before." And I'm not kidding you. He was so good at it. He took the guitar and put it behind his head and was playing. And then he finished, <laughs> and we all were just kind of looking at each other, like not really knowing what to say because they didn't know what he wanted. Yeah, like, I didn't know what he wanted us to do, but <laughs> it was he just, cool. Just puts on his leather jacket, walks out of the store. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. You met, the, go- know. You met the ghost of Hendrix, dude, in a Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. That's so, yeah, I, I, I think, like, I'm just trying to remember, you know, when the moment is that you stop being scared of this stuff. And start embracing it. When was that for you, do you think, Adam? I still like- get scared if I'm alone in a house. <laughs> like, I I don't think it's ever gone away. Mm. I still think something could get me. And what is it? Is it, it could be ghost? anything, it an Michael. alien? could be all of that. All at the same time. Ghost, alien, uh, supernatural nightmare that I thought up comes to life. Anything. Right. I think I'm vulnerable at all times. <laughs> so this sounds a little bit like me. So, um... But because uh, I'm I'm never scared of like a burglar breaking in, you know, I'm scared of the shadow monster. Coming <laughs> yeah. Forward. Yeah. I'm not afraid I could get hit by a car or anything like that, but no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a ghost <laughs> car could run into your bedroom. Absolutely. Uh, crash into your bedroom. For yeah. sure. Seeing those like red eyes out in the middle of your backyard at night. You're like, that's not good. Even when we were like when we were in New Mexico, it was gorgeous, but it's a big black dark field, and I still was convincing myself that something was out there. Mm. Do you something ever look just up in the, you ever love look up in the sky? You ever seen any type of UFOs or orbs or strange lights, or you ever been interested in anything like that? It, okay, so this I this will let you know how lame I am. Uh, when I was a kid, I got super excited because I thought I did see something. Bryce, wait, mm. we got to hear about this. So again. In the backyard, over the humps of all places, I saw these lights that in the magical sky. place. Anything can happen in the humps. Yeah, it's all uh, coming together. <laughs> yeah, lights in the sky. I was so I was so excited because I thought I was seeing something, and it turned out to be the Goodyear blimp. Oh wow! <laughs> and I've I think I've been so honestly I was pretty I was pretty dejected by that. So I think that sort of sullied me on trying to find anything in the sky. Dude, don't feel so bad. A couple months ago, <laughs> the Goodyear blimp went viral as a UFO out in uh, oh I forget the the city it was in, but hundreds of people stopped on the freeway to take video of it because from the angle that they were shooting it, it it just looked like there was a gleam off the sun, and it just looked like a floating. UFO, you could not tell it was a blimp, and people were like freaking the fuck out. So I'm good. I'm not the only one. Then now I don't. You're thank you. I don't feel so bad because no. I did. I was pretty embarrassed. I'm st- I'm still embarrassed. It was in uh, <laughs> New Jersey. That's right. That's I'm right. Looking it, was, it up uh, right now, and I just played a yeah. Goodyear blimp mistaken for UFO in New Jersey skies. Yeah. A viral video making the social media rounds on Monday had residents convinced a genuine UFO had invaded New Jersey's <laughs> airspace. <laughs> But Goodyear pop up rather, but Goodyear rather than aliens turned out to be the source of the comical hysteria. And I love I just, when like you tell people that it was actually the 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 blimp, and then they'll double down. Nah, I've seen the blimp. That was no blimp. <laughs> and you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't be so. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, don't don't feel so so ashamed. And look, we. This is the perfect thing you got to do. You gotta. You gotta. You you actually were one step ahead of the rest of these folks. This guy even filmed it and put it on YouTube, and it went viral. the The correct thing to do, Adam, and that this is what you did was you looked at it, and you made it. Uh, you just you found it discernible, and you went, "No, that's a blimp. Mm-hmm. I'm not an idiot. I'm just looking at a blimp." It was so. I have the feeling of being so excited and then so defeated, and all within a minute and a half is, it's you know, it left an imprint. Well, that's like that's the how- night uh, Riley and I called one another because we saw the Falcon X rocket going across. Yep. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yep, that's exactly. How- I was like, this is it. It's happening. It was like, <laughs> it's nope, happening right now. It's Elon. It's just Elon. Riley was like, are you looking at this? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> God. I do believe in theater ghosts. Does does that oh, count? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck, yeah, absolutely. Tell us your theater ghost story. Uh, I was down in or in DC doing a show at the Woolly Mammoth Theater. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's a really nice theater, uh, right in the heart of downtown. And we were hanging out one night after the show, and you know, you get to know the house staff, and at some point they'll let you have a beer or two backstage. So we were hanging out back there after the show. The theater was completely empty. The house staff, everybody was gone, and the the ghost light was the only thing in the theater and we were sitting back there and as clear as day, we heard a scream from inside the theater. Uh, and we all kind of, you know, froze for a minute. My buddy Kevin and I, we like, we ran out cause we didn't know if somebody had like wandered in and was lost or if somebody had been hurt or what check the theater up and down, nothing. There was nobody mm. in there. All the doors were locked. Nothing was open, no window or anything. Uh, yeah, and going back into the theater, just just looking at that ghost light, just that image of the set illuminated behind it was was very uh, yeah, it left an impression. So I do believe in theater ghosts. I don't know what it was, but uh, I I do believe in them. Adam, for we're all theater uh, boys here, but for our listeners at home that may not know what a ghost light is, will you explain that? Because they might think you were looking at an actual ghost light. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you no, know, not an actual ghost light. This was just a light on a on a on a lamp post with no shade, and you leave it on at night to um, appease the ghosts. Is that fair to say? <laughs> oh no, shit. Yep. Yeah. It's this just and it's such a beautiful and spooky image of just. Mm-hmm. Uh, a single light just standing on stage and that's all all you can see the in the entire theater um it, it is spooky and it's it's one of my favorite favorite images actually um that's great though i mean was there any legend around that theater had you guys heard any ghost stories about the it? people that we worked with were relatively new if i recall so there were no uh nothing definitive they didn't have any like you know any legends or stories or anything but what was the name of the theater i'm going to look it up the woolly mammoth that's an easy one to remember, Michael. <laughs> Wooly Mammoth Ghosts. Well, now I'm just going to get Ghosts of Wooly Mammoths, which is something yeah. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Totally different, but just as interesting. Uh, Wooly Mammoth Theater Ghosts. Let's see if anything comes up. What play were you doing there? Uh, we were doing a Second City review there. Oh, Second City guy. Yeah. So you spent time in Chicago then? I did. And any ghost stories in chicago any haunted is what's what's a big haunted thing in chicago now i have to do what i did for detroit for chicago i mean yeah i mean cabrini green but just because of candy man oh that's right did they film it there no but it's i think it's a target now (laughs) 
I like the idea of Candyman just roaming around Target. <laughs> that would be awesome. What, no was knows. it career career advice with Jennifer Connelly? Is that the one where she's trapped in Target? Oh, uh, career opportunities. Career opportunities. Yes. Mix that with uh, Candyman. That's a, that's fucking great. That's God. a good double feature down at uh, the Olathe Landing, uh, near where <laughs> I grew up. Um, no, couldn't find anything on the Woolly Mammoth Theater uh, stuff, but that that nothing freakier than a scream in the middle of the night. There the was theater. something there, and it was kind. Of, I don't know, like I, it's. We never got the feeling that it was anything that meant harm. We all, it kind of felt cool and, and good. And uh, so, you know, I think that ended up with a lot of us saying goodnight to it as we left the theater each night. Right, right, right. Oh, all right. Well, Adam, we have a game we like to play with all of our guests. I'm going to go down a list of phenomena. And uh, if you're open to it, you're going to say, believe it. If you're not open to it, you're going to say bullshit. Okay. All right, and if you're somewhere in between, just pick the word and use inflection to communicate where you're at. We can always come back and unpack uh, one of these. Great. Uh, oh, and by the way, this is a brand new uh, for oh, uh, for year four updated, updated list. Yeah, updated bullshit uh. believe it list. Uh, I did this last year for year three. This doesn't have to be the final list. I wow. might make some tweaks, but Adam, you have the honor. Of hearing this this full oh list, cracking it time. open. All Great. Right. All right. This is a game we like to call bullshit or believe it. Adam Peacock. Great. On your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Believe it. ESP. Bullshit. Shadow people. Bullshit. Unicorns. Bullshit. Alien abductions. Believe it. Yeti. Believe it. Mothman. Bullshit. Out-of-body experiences. Bullshit. Tarot cards. Bullshit. Demonically possessed dolls. Believe it. (laughs) Healing power of crystals. Bullshit. An alien spacecraft crashed at Roswell, a.k.a. Corona. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Atlantis. Bullshit. Haunted houses. Believe it. Skunk ape. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> oh, you came so close to unlocking a secret game, I could feel it. <laughs> <laughs> the Jersey Devil. Uh, Bullshit. The Biblical Devil. Bullshit. Speaking to the Dead. Bullshit. Mermaids. Bullshit. The government is hiding the truth about Sasquatch. Believe it. Past lives. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Believe it. Life after death. Bullshit. Congratulations, Adam. Whoa! That was great. That was so fun. So I take it you're not into the woo-woo kind of stuff, huh, Adam? (laughs) Tarot cards, crystals, (laughs) CSP, not for you. But government disclosure Bigfoot, he gave a, yeah, I'm down for that. that, Yeah, I believe that they're hiding something, but no, yeah, yeah, the woo-woo stuff, I, 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 I don't believe in. What did a tarot card reading ever do to you? Nothing. It's done nothing but bring me entertainment. I have a tarot card deck. Do you have That's the Rider Weight deck? Which deck do you have? Uh the 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 Woods Woodsman Woodsman oh, deck, I think. I'll have to look that up. Um yeah, why is government why is the government hiding the truth about Sasquatch, Adam? 
I don't know. I just, I, I just big brother, man, not to sound like a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, but they, there's something, man, there's something, that but I don't know. Good. I mean, what they want us to know, wouldn't that be, you know, I mean, that's a pretty big, uh, a lot of money that's flown into those national parks and forests. I mean, for the, yeah. you know, I don't know if they, if they knew of something like that, scaring people off or, you know, throwing a stymie in the logging industry, it might uh, really wrink- <laughs> wrinkle some curlies, you know, I don't know. I, I think people would turn out in droves just for the off chance to see a confirmed Bigfoot, yeah, a government know, confirmed right. Bigfoot. They must be trying to weaponize their camouflage. <laughs> Well, I like their, that list. That's a good list. That is a good yeah, list. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody pointed this out to us recently. I can't remember if it was on the show or off the mic, but uh, Loch Ness monster always gets bullshit. And I, I, again, I'm I'm getting upset about this. Why do you call bullshit on the Loch Ness monster? I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad on behalf of the Loch Ness monster community. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, I think just because there's been, you know, it's such a, it's such an isolated area for the, for Nessie to cover. Right. And it's all been kind of covered as far as I, I understand. So that's, that's the only reason I call bullshit on that. You think we've hit the bottom of the lake? I think so. It, it kind of so. fits your jaws in a swimming pool theory. You know, if you don't see him in the swimming pool, he might probably not there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Bryce, you're leaving out portals. Yeah. Jaws, he yeah. He's a portal motherfucker. <laughs> no, I know. And, dimension. and there is an inlet that leads to the ocean. So, I mean, there is a back door to the, to the Loch Ness, you know? Hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm short-sighted. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm the asshole here. <laughs> So I didn't want to. I don't it, think so. <laughs> no, no. Look, I, it's I'm being naive. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't scoped the whole thing out properly. You know, most what? of this we're, we're done was, here. We're no, done sorry. here. Okay. Adam, <laughs> we've never ended an episode this early. It's time to, but we're there's the first time for everything. Michael, that list was so good. I didn't even realize how I felt about some of those things until you asked me. <laughs> what was one that jumped out at you? Uh, I think government hiding Bigfoot information. <laughs> Not demonically possessed dolls? No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I did believe it on that one. I think I believe that, yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's a that Robert the doll in, in uh, the Florida Keys. And no, thank you. You know what? Now that I've said that, you've really got me thinking about this. And I don't want to you know, detract too much. But if I believe in de- demonically possessed dolls, but I don't believe in the biblical devil, can they both coexist? Yeah, yeah because demons can be just something from another dimension crossing over. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily mean it's satanic or it's from hell. See, that's my short-sighted mal- Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. Well, it could well, just that's be a malevolent the implication, spirit. you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. But it could just be a malevolent, you know, nature spirit out there, a right. nature demon. Okay. What's the difference when you get down to it at the end of the day? This is why we're all so uh, unique as people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it? It's a good list. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. All right. Great. I'm going to stop here. And we'll All right. Michael, I'll send you that right. text. Uh... Do you want to give it? Do you want to say goodbye to your credit card rewards? Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. 
right, we're back with Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com And it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Adam, going off of your couple bullshits in that last bullshit or believe it, I think you might find this one interesting. I'd like to begin with a quote from Jack London's science fiction novel, The Star Rover. I did not begin when I was born, nor when I was conceived. I have been growing, developing, through incalculable myriads of millenniums. All my previous selves have their voices, echoes, promptings in me. Oh, incalculable times again shall I be born. Science tells us that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, which begs the age-old question, what happens to us when we die? Where does our energy go? And what about our individual consciousness, our memories, our persona, our identity? What happens to that? Where does that go? Nearly all religions speak of a life after death, and there are a great number of mysterious phenomena which provide some tantalizing evidence for us to ponder, like ghosts, which we proved on this here podcast, NDEs, or near-death experiences, which all seem to share unique and common qualifiers. But perhaps more than any other clue that death is just another stage to our unique existence is the mysterious phenomena known as past life memories, or in a broader term, reincarnation. Reincarnation is the philosophical or religious belief that the non-physical essence of a living being starts a new life in a different physical form or body after biological death. It's also called rebirth, transmigration. But one man in particular dedicated the majority of his life and career to finding evidence of reincarnation until his death in 2007. That man was Dr. Ian Stevenson, a former professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia School of Medicine and former chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Neurology who claims to have found over 3,000 examples of reincarnation during his studies, which he shared with the scientific community in journals and papers. And of those 3,000 individual cases, an astonishing 1,400 have resulted in the identification of what Stevenson referred to as the previous personality, based on facts or statements provided by the child. In other words... Around half of those cases, Dr. Stevenson was able to find and confirm the deceased person the child with past life memories claimed to be in their previous life. 
For Stevenson, who was a bit of an iconoclast, this area of study represented a best-case scenario for tangible evidence for the survival of death. When asked what drew him to the study of reincarnation, Stevenson replied, Discontent with other explanations of human personality. I wasn't satisfied with psychoanalysis or behaviorism, or for that matter, neuroscience. Something seemed to be missing. Perhaps another way of saying, we are who we are because of who we were. For a number of years, Stevenson had collected published reports of individuals who had claimed to remember their past lives, finding these stories in various places such as books, magazines, and newspapers. After publishing his own report on the subject, he began getting reports sent directly to him, mostly from places like Burma, India, and Sri Lanka. And although Stevenson did study European and American cases as well, most of the cases occurred in places where the vast majority of people believed in the idea of reincarnation, causing him to suggest that social and cultural issues are critical factors in producing the phenomenon. In 1961, Stevenson traveled to India to meet with individual children and their families to learn more about their cases and see if he could archive and see if he could achieve the unthinkable. Sorry, my son is trying to sneak his Nintendo Switch here. Hold on. <laughs> what are you doing, Walker? You're screwing with my story of high strangeness. It's the Nine Rouge. All right. Sorry. Kids. Okay. Where was I? Ah. We'll take it from here. For a number of years, Stevenson had collected published reports of... Oh, I already did that. Um, Okay, here we go. And although Stevenson did study European and American cases as well, most of the cases occurred in places where the vast majority of people believed in the idea of reincarnation, causing him to suggest that social and cultural issues are critical factors in producing the phenomenon. In 1961, Stevenson traveled to India to meet with individual children and their families to learn more about their cases and see if he could achieve the unthinkable, which was to piece together the clues as to who this person was in their previous life. To his own amazement, more often than not, he did just that. To cite one example, a little girl in India whose name was Kumkum Verna began talking about a past life when she was just three and a half years old. Though her family lived in a small village, she recalled being a woman in Darbanga, a city of 200,000 people that was 25 miles away. Not only did she name the city where she had lived, she named the exact place as well. Kumkum's aunt kept a detailed journal of statements made about her past life, which included around 18 verifiable or testable statements. Given access to the journal, Dr. Stevenson began the exhausting detective work to track down a potential deceased match, which he did. He was able to match every single one of those statements to a woman who had died just five years before she was born. Kumkum recalled her son's name and the fact that he worked with a hammer, her grandson's name, the town where the woman's father had lived, the location of his home near some mango orchards, and the presence of a pond at her house. There were other vivid details Kumkum recalled as well, like a sword that hung above the cot where she slept and an iron safe and the pet snake she kept near it. Kumkum said that in her previous life, she died during a family disagreement and that her stepson's wife had poisoned her. 
According to his research, these children typically start talking about a past life very early on, as Kum Kum did, with the average age being 35 months. This happens not through hypnosis, but spontaneously, as the children begin recounting events they say that they experienced in another life. Though they may talk about a past life many times and with great intensity, they tend to stop making such statements around the age of six. At the same time, children typically lose memories of early childhood and also when they begin school, getting more involved in the greater world outside their families. Most children in these cases seem to lose past life memories, even though a surprising number of them reported as adults that they still remember some details of past life. Most of the children describe only one past life. Their memories usually focus on people and events from near the end of that life, and three-quarters of them relate how they died. They very rarely report being anyone famous. Instead, they recall a largely nondescript life of a person who typically lived fairly close by, almost always in the same country. The one part of the life that is often out of the ordinary is how the previous person died. Around 70% of the children describe a life that ended in an unnatural death, such as murder, suicide, accident, or combat. Though there are exceptions, the life also tends to be quite recent. The average interval between lives is four and a half years. Along with talking about a past life, many of the children show behaviors that seemed connected to their statements. A lot of them display a great deal of emotion when they discuss events from that life. <clears throat> Like the incredible story of little James Lennon, an American boy from Lafayette, Louisiana, who was not quite two years old when his father took him to the Kavanaugh Flight Museum while they were visiting family in Dallas. And little James shrieked with delight when he saw the F-104 Thunder Chief parked there, a World War II plane he was drawn to like a magnet. The only way his father could get him to leave was to promise to take him back. After that visit, James began having intense nightmares of a plane crash. He then described being an American pilot who was killed when his plane was shot down by the Japanese over Iwo Jima. He gave details that included the name of an American aircraft carrier, the Natoma Bay, the first and last name of a friend who was on the ship with him, and a location and other specifics about that fatal crash. His parents eventually discovered a close correspondence between James' statements and the death of a World War II pilot named James Houston Jr. The story garnered national attention, and the boy and his parents made several television appearances and eventually wrote a book about their experiences. With mounting evidence, Stevenson began devoting more and more time to the case studies and eventually stepped down as a chairman of the department to focus on his research. He established a small unit in 1967 at the University of Virginia, now known as the Division of Perceptual Studies, to conduct studies in parapsychology, including research into the question of life after death. In 1997, Stevenson published his Magnus Opus, a 2,268-page, two-volume work called Reincarnation and Biology. In his findings, were that about 35% of children who claim to remember previous lives have birthmarks and or birth defects that they attribute to wounds on a person whose life the child remembers, such as finger deformities, underdeveloped ears, or being born without a lower leg. 
There were also scar-like, hypopigmented birthmarks and port wine stains and some awfully strange-looking moles in areas where you almost never find moles, like on the soles of the feet. Reincarnation in biology contained 225 case reports of children who remembered previous lives and who also had physical anomalies that matched those previous lives. Details that could in some cases be confirmed by the dead person's autopsy records and photos. For example, a Turkish boy whose face was congenitally underdeveloped on the right side said he remembered the life of a man who died from a shotgun blast at point-blank range. A Burmese girl born without her lower right leg had talked about the life of a girl run over by a train. On the back of the head of a little boy in Thailand was a small, round, puckered birthmark, and at the front was a larger, irregular birthmark resembling the entry and exit wounds of a bullet. Stevenson had already confirmed the details of the boy's statements about the life of a man who'd been shot in the head from behind with a rifle. And a child in India who said he remembered the life of a boy who'd lost the fingers of his right hand in a fodder chopping machine mishap, was born with boneless stubs for fingers on his right hand only. This type of unilateral brachydactyly is so rare, Stevenson pointed out, that he couldn't find a single medical publication of another case. Oftentimes, Stevenson observed the child had habits and fears linked to the nature of death. Those who said they drowned in a previous life had an unusually intense fear of water. Those who were stabbed displayed a crippling knife phobia, and so on. Dr. Stevenson brought the rigors of academia and the scientific method to bear on what we would today be called the paranormal, suffering the slings and arrows along the way, much like John E. Mack, famed Harvard psychiatrist, did for the abduction phenomenon. Once asked if he had any regrets, Stevenson replied, My biggest regret was not that my critics dismissed my work, but that they did so without ever bothering to read it. For those of us interested in life's greater mysteries, Stevenson will be remembered for his contributions into the great unknown. And that's it. That's the story of Dr. Ian Stevenson and his case studies of past life memories. Those are just some of the cases. I mean, there when you really start to, you know, break into these things, they're just they can really boggle the mind. What do you think of all this stuff, Adam? I think I'm a real piece of shit. <laughs> uh, is that what the, like I, I call bullshit? Then you have definitive proof of the thing I just called bullshit on. <laughs> yes. I don't think we That's have how the podcast the is supposed to work. We did. Yeah, we no, did. you did. You did. Past and there was a new one lives. to the list. <clears throat> it was a new one to the list, which which is very in- interesting. But uh, yeah, so this guy was a, a serious academic and he published peer-reviewed papers and multiple books on the subject. And uh, it's hard not to to look and read about some of these cases and just wonder what the fuck is going on. That story about uh, James, the little boy, I'm going to put in the show notes. I was finding it before he even brought it up. The, mm. I, I remember that ABC primetime special that he was on with his parents. Yeah. And the thing, the reason his dad brought him, if I'm remembering this correctly, to the airplane in the first place was he was given a toy plane when he was like two or three. And his dad noticed that every time he would start playing with the plane, he'd like tip it upside down and do these little like twists and turns with his finger finger uh fingertips all over the plane. Yeah. And mm-hmm. 
he he was like, this is just kind of a weird thing my kid does with his toy plane, and I don't know why. And I think that it was a friend of the father's who was over and was watching the kid play, and he's like, he's doing a pre-flight check. Yeah. I know what? what he's doing. Yeah. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I think his friend was a pilot or was familiar with planes. He was like in the army or something. Well, and he would crash this toy plane into his coffee table over and over. He would have these terrible nightmares. Uh, plane on fire. Little guy can't get out, you know? Yeah, and his mom would come in. He's saying, I've been shot. I've been shot. And she's like, who shot you? And uh, Yeah, he rolls his eyes and he says, the Japanese, you know, as if it was obvious. But so the reason, so when he took him to the, to go see the plane, allegedly the boy ran out and was doing the pre-flight check that he was doing. He knew where every, the, and, and another, and a World War II pilot or another pilot was standing there going, how does your boy know all this stuff? But not only that, like, after and that's hearing when the dad, but that story, was at the beginning. That's when the dad yeah. started to go, okay, something's going on here. This is When weird. they finally pieced together that it must have been this pilot, James Huston Jr., you know, he actually went back with his family and a few other World War II vets to that very spot where that plane went down. And him and these old veterans just watched as this little boy just sobbed and sobbed uncontrollably. And they were all just like, holy shit, you know? And uh, wow. he actually met Jame Huston's sister who was still alive. She was 95 years old at the time. And when this little boy went to meet her, he was just kind of like, he would touch her face because... Obviously, he didn't remember being this old, you know, but he would speak of their parents and talk about this old painting that that uh, his dad did of her as a little girl. And she was like, nobody should know that stuff. She had some of his toys from when he was a little boy and she gave them to him and he took them home and put them by his bed. It's so weird. I mean, it's so weird. That's the weirdest uh, coolest story. I'm, I'm, I'll put that link up in the show well, notes. It's, it's for, really for interesting sure. too, because his yeah. parents really fought it. His father was a, a, a devout Protestant and he just had the hardest time, you know, dealing with this as, as a family, because, you know, in, in his religion, it didn't accept the idea of reincarnation. I mean, he's coming around to like sort of fit it into his paradigm, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it changed all their life. I mean, I gotta say, that like, was pretty convincing stuff, man. <laughs> that, the, the evidence you were presenting there was uh, compelling. I mean, that's uh, yeah. Like, I got it too, Riley. Like the irrational fear of waters and the fear of knives and all. You know, from yeah, I don't know. That's, the body stuff yeah. is weird. I mean, that's weird. And also, what a bummer! Like, you get shot in the head, and then you're born in the next life, and your head's deformed from being shot in the head. And the, that's not cool. That's well, not it's like we've always, no, that sucks. No, it's so we've always said emotion, know. high intensity emotion, whether it's theater ghosts or you know being killed in an unnatural <laughs> they way, are full of drama has <laughs> has an effect, you know, and that's possibly you know this leftover energy that that these kids are able to you know, that transfers into their, to their next life. It's very, it's very strange stuff. So is this like a do-over round? Like, what do we think this is here? Like some people just get a, you get a bonus continue if you, the machine gets unplugged or something. (laughs) What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It's like an extra guy. (laughs) That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, It's weird when you try to like break it down in that sense, like who knows, you know, musical savants too. 
like I don't know. Yeah. That's just where, yeah. Yeah. Have you yeah, ever heard of really good around the piano? Spontaneous savant syndrome. A guy jumps into mm-hmm. a, the deep end of a pool, hits his head on the bottom, uh, his you know breaks his spinal cord, but he's able to play masterful concert piano out of nowhere. You know, I've it's heard of so it with strange. language where somebody experiences a trauma and they wake up just speaking French. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, you know, I looked up the idiot's guide to reincarnation and it has a quiz, you know, (laughs) have you ever dreamt in another language? Have you ever felt akin to an older time and an older place, you know, and there's all these sort of the questionnaires that you can, you know, answer yes or no to. I was born with a giant birthmark on my stomach that uh, was surgically removed later in my life, but uh, because I thought it might be you know eventually become cancerous but maybe i was like gorged by a rhino <laughs> maybe you're some badass hunter yeah <laughs> what uh any birthmarks you're looking at differently now adam i mean I just ones that i put on myself nothing really <laughs> i mean i had a mole on the side of my face that a nurse very coldly scared me to death that she thought it was a brain tumor but that's uh... it <laughs> You know, it really made me sort of go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, what are people experiencing when they they see these apparitions who they can also find a case for who those ghosts might be as well? Why are they still hanging around? Why haven't they moved on or, you know, because like like Dr. Stevenson said, usually, you know, it was within about four years that these that these souls were, quote unquote, transferred or recycled, you know, Mm -hmm. Interesting that, too, he said it happens more often in places where they already believe in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. belief takes a a huge part of it. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, because that James story is really compelling. But Well, and he also said a lot of of parents, you know, people's beliefs play a big part because, you know, if you're a little kid who's spouting this stuff off and your parents don't believe that, oh, stop that nonsense, you know, and that could that could put a stymie on it right then and there, you know. So maybe that has something to do with it. But uh, very interesting stuff. Building up barriers to it. Yeah, right. Right. Final thoughts, Adam. I, I mean, I'm way more open to it now, Michael. I think I might have. I can I be somewhere in the middle now? Yeah, sure. Right. We'll take, we'll take like a, now, yeah. Bullshit. Mm. No, <laughs> I did. Yeah, bullshit. Leave it. A little bit of bullshit. Yeah, that's wild. Great stuff. I think it's nice. cool too. Like, and I we talked about this when you guys did neighbors. Like. You know, a lot of this is passed off as bullshit, right? For some people who might just not think of it. But the way in which that you guys speak about it, it is so compelling. And it does, oh, maybe there is a case. So I think the 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 credit that you guys give it when you speak about it is very, uh, very helpful with that. I'll send you this YouTube video so you can watch the stuff about that little boy. It's the most convincing argument I've I've ever seen. And maybe I need to go back and watch it, but uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool stuff. There's another great case of uh, of one called Ryan, the actor, another four-year-old American boy who at the age of four started directing imaginary movies and shouting action, you know, and, <laughs> and would watch old black and white pictures and say, I did a picture with him. I did a picture with her, you know, and he mm-hmm. had these nightmares of his, of a heart attack, you know. One day he's watching this old black and white movie with his mom and he said, that's me, mom. That's who I was in a former life. They tracked fucking down this guy in this picture through like old agents and old friends. He was an extra in a movie. And, uh, you know, he wasn't even a big actor at the time. But, uh, you know, this kid, all these statements that had piled up in these journals, you know, they were able to go, holy shit, this kid 
was this guy. He was a, a, a New York uh, extra who had a house. He could name the place where he lived, the actual address, his friends, uh, all kinds of stuff. Just wild stuff. I love that he doesn't have the Shirley MacLaine thing where he was someone famous. He's like, nah, I was just, I was just background player. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, because who did Shirley MacLaine said she was? Wasn't it? Cleopatra. I think there's Cleopatra, right. and she yeah. was like, uh, you know, a reincarnated. Uh, uh, we just said this uh, not too long ago, Lemurian spirit that was over on the other side. <laughs> we were talking about yeah, this in the course. ultimate bullshit or believe it. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Great stuff. All right. Well, I want to thank Adam for being a guest on the show tonight. Thank you so much, Adam. Please let thank people know where they can find you and find the podcast. Uh, my neighbors are dead wherever you get your podcasts and we're on Twitter and Instagram at my neighbors are dead. That's, that's it. Fantastic. And as he mentioned, Bryce and I did an episode together on the legend of Boggy Creek. So much fun. So much fun. Uh, check start there and then go listen to all the other ones. Uh, Bryce Riley, any plugs before we take off? No, not really. I mean, you know, I always like to plug the Patreon. We're having a lot of fun over there. Yep. Making Subscribe stuff. to the other side. Uh, yep. Patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Bryce? Yeah, uh, you know, the holidays are coming right up. And if you're going to be with some friends and family, being safe, of course, and you want an incredible game to play, uh, then go get Dirty Picture Cover Up. Just head to thedpcugame.com and get yours today. Fantastic. And right follow on. us on Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram and Bigfoot at Bigfoot Pod on Twitter. And if you would do us a favor, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you do, we might read it on the air like this one. A Family Affair, five stars by C.J. Cook. My lifestyle requires a lot of driving, and Bigfoot Collectors Club podcast has been a savior to engaging my free time while on the road. My five-year-old is often in the car with me. I've never worried about elevating his fears because he's proven proven himself to be an avid enthusiast of the occult as well. (laughs) However... Awesome. I never realized how much he's actually been listening because he's always occupying his time well in the car on his own on our long distance road trips. Although, lo and behold, the other evening as we were channel surfing past a scary movie he wanted to watch, he pronounced, everybody loves a good ghost story, then praised Bigfoot Collectors Club. My yes. husband and I looked at one another with glee and couldn't be more proud. Loving the fact that our podcast is a poignant facet of his experience to the occult we win oh my god that's, that's the awesome. i've ever heard wow i mean what a wonderful place to leave it adam thanks again thank uh, you every, everyone we love you until next time good night and go get life regressed oh <laughs> oh uh, pa- a past i should have said uh, go get a past life regression Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. 
Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.